0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Murder Taco. I'm your host, Edgar, and I took a week off. It felt good, and we're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. I said it multiple times because I don't have a co-host. So I hope everybody's staying well. I hope everybody is staying healthy. I saw cases of coronavirus error spiking. I really just hope that everybody's doing good. And that you guys are, um, and wearing your mask or staying away from people. I don't care, but just staying healthy. Uh, cases are spiking not only in the U.S. Also, I saw France is like on the second week of a supposed three-week um, quarantine again, another lockdown because cases there are spiking. Also, cases in Florida are spiking. Um, I more than anybody probably want to get back to normal. So yes, of course, get vaccinated, stay healthy, stay away from people and let people know if you get sick. I, I, I don't know. I don't really see it anymore, but I'm sure there's still cases going up. I don't think it's, it was like before, but I'm sure there's pockets of cases, but I'm not going to discredit that there is still cases going on. You know, I just don't see it. Who knows? But stay healthy, everybody. That isn't me saying that it's not true and this isn't a vaccine, vaccine podcast. Okay. Well, uh, I hope you guys are staying healthy and staying sane. I know I am going crazy, but everything's good. Uh, let's get into it. And I think I mentioned on a previous episode... Uh, team Adam, which was the National Center for Exploited and Missing Children, uh, they have their team that they send out to help local and state officials. Yeah, local and state officials um help find children, help uh, set up bases for children, uh, a base for the search of children. So like a a base site. Um, they coordinate. They Help fund uh, searches and things like that. So, this has to do with all of it. I started looking into it and I kind of basically knew what Team Adam was. And the other one is Code Adam. So, Code Adam is Walmart's um, version of lockdown and trying to find missing children in their store. So I was gonna save till the end, but I'll uh, lightly touch on it. Team uh, Code Adam is they shut the store down and they start searching for a missing child in their store. So again, if you're anything like me, then you have wondered where the names Megan's Law, Amber Alert, and other notable laws and procedures come from, their origins. So today we're going to dive into one of the most famous cases that not only changed the standard oper- operating procedure for companies, it also changed a family, um local officials, the way that they, they run things. Um, it actually branched out to the way that police investigate cases of missing children, the way that, uh, federal yeah the federal government the way they help and local agencies get all involved and just the kind of discredit of children missing Um, you'll see that right off the bat they believe that the child uh, walked home or is somewhere around instead of being instantly alerted Uh, this also changed of course a family a a neighborhood a family and just the local uh, florida just mindset of how things are but it branched out to everything else it changed everything and you'll see how and why towards the end so this story takes place in hollywood florida it's like hollywood but in florida that's a joke so in about about 30 minutes uh, from Miami airport or 2,900 miles or one day, 16 hours from the other Hollywood uh, on the afternoon of July 29th, 1981. Reva Walsh and her son, Adam Walsh arrived at Hollywood mall and entered the, steer- the Sears from the North entrance to look at some brass lamps that her husband wanted and they happened to be on sale. So he's like, hey, go down. Can you check these out? Buy some. Boom. We're there. So on that morning, when, or on, uh, on that afternoon, when her and her son, her six-year-old son, Adam, walk in, they pass by the brand new Atari 2600 game console. And I the way that it, it, they make it sound, it's the arcade style, I want to say. But it, When they say Atari, I just envision the game console. So the smaller kind of for people that don't know, it's mm, about the size of a PS5. So kind of big, kind of bulky. It says it's the large kiosk with the uh, Atari game 2600. And it was either Pong or a baseball game. So Adam, Adam. It's claimed that Adam was watching four boys play on the Atari. He begged his mom to let him stay and play, seeing as she was only going to be uh, a few hours away and grabbed the lamp- lamps. In her words, only a few aisles over. She told Adam where she would be as she pointed. And as she went off, she asked about the lamps. He stayed and watched the boys, the four boys play. It's reported that the, a fight broke out. There was two black boys and two white boys. Um, something like the black boys were playing. The white boys mentioned something about them hogging the joystick. And one of the black boys slapped the white boy. Um, so if I broke out about the, uh, the game, when the security card, a 17-year-old, uh, Kathleen, yeah, Kathleen Schaefer came over between 12.30 and 12.45 to break up the fight. Uh, she said in a statement to Phil Monday, a detective on September fifteenth, 1996, that there were a few theories on what happened. I'll say them uh, later on, but this is uh, her account of what happened. I think I called her uh Kathleen maybe maybe it's Katherine Schaefer uh she stated that uh there was an incident between 12:30 and 12:45 at the Atari video game located near the toy section she witnessed the fight between the two white boys and the two black boys one black child slapped the 10-year-old white child Schaefer said and one of the black dudes became verbally abusive towards her and she instructed all four kids to leave the the store. Schaefer says she sent the two black kids out the south door exit near the men's department, and the two white boys out the north exit. That's very important to uh, state. So remember that part. She says I was called to the toy department for disturbance, with the the children were fighting over the lo- electronic games. That was not an uncommon thing. Upon arrival, she said the two white boys and the two black boys fought over the game they asked her pushing and shoving she said no they wouldn't take turns obviously at that time the two black boys uh, were the ones playing the game and continued telling the white boys that they were okay just a minute just a minute and what did you do to resolve that i asked the children playing the games the two black boys if their parents were in the store they both answered me no and i pointed to the doors at the opposite end of the store you two out those two doors did the boys leave out? She says yes. What did you do with the other two boys? I asked them. Are your parents in the store? Assuming they were together, and the older of the two told me no. So I said, "You two out those doors," and I pointed toward different doors. She says they left out those doors, opposite doors, so it would be the north and the south. This is her recollection. So, uh, to me, this is speculation. To me, uh. She recalls all that. Um, This happened in 81. So this interview with the detective is 1996. So 15 years later. And she can recall all those details. So it's just very important that two of the boys go through, the white boys go through the north entrance. And the two black boys, she sends out the south entrance. So remember that. I think I've already said that. I think with any large um, search, any large case, there's always conflicting theories. There's always different uh, accounts of what happened. And this is no stranger to this. This is one of the reasons that all this um, kind of fell apart and they believe it's just shoddy uh, detective work. But it doesn't really help that with large cases, especially national cases, you have people call in saying that they saw somebody you have uh, quote-unquote witnesses that they know what happened they saw what happened and it's either discredited or it sends the investigation a different route when it doesn't need to go that route um, like I mentioned there's a timeline or also contradicting accounts of what happened one thing that didn't help the investigation by joe matthews uh from his theories of what happened to adam t- as to his obsession to one suspect his investigation did not help the case more more on that later on but uh she sent the two black boys through the south and the white boys through the north so after about five ten minutes uh in her words revay returns to the toy department where adam was supposed to be And she sees that the whole department is empty. And she also recalls that the Pong pong game or the baseball game, she doesn't remember which one it was, uh, was off, but there was still sounds coming from the machine. So that's kind of why she thought that they were still there, because there was sounds going on. There was no sight of Adam. As she started to panic, she notices the phone on the wall. She picks up the phone. And she reaches the Sears operator. It says switchboard operator, which to me sounds like uh, somebody with headphones on and literally will plug the headphone jack into one of the departments. It just like sounds real old, old-timey. Uh, the operator informs that there isn't really much that they can do, but that she can page Adam to meet her at the toy department. After several pages, um, still no sign of Adam. So several minutes she starts panicking, not knowing how to deal with it. The Sears employees uh start paging him, um, and paging all employee all all customers to be on the lookout for Adam. They describe that he has a red and white uh Izod uh, shirt, a captain's hat, his favorite captain's hat. So while looking for Adam, Rave runs into her mother-in-law in in the garden department. So it's important to note, note, and I think I I mentioned it uh, later on, that uh, the grandma or gram as she is called is in the garden department. The garden department would be the west exit. Or the West exit is located in the garden department. So Graham is sure that Adam just walked off or he's somewhere in the mall because it, if you can visualize it, like all malls, it's the Sears and then it's connected to the mall. So she she's sure that he just walked off and he's here somewhere. After an hour and a half, no sign, the Sears employees are starting to worry. They realize that they cannot handle it. And the police are called eventually. So it's about uh 1.30, I believe. Adam went missing from 12.15 to 12.45, so a 30-minute window. It's only about 30 minutes uh, because of the fact that everybody has a different story. So they compiled all the stories together, and that's the time frame that they have. So from the, of course, there's, uh, I'm going to say it for the 17th time, 43rd time, there are different accounts of what happened. So... They either got to the Sears between 12 and 12.15. I know it's it's a 15-minute window, and it doesn't, for most people, seem that big of a deal. But between 12 and 12.15, and it's speculated that Adam literally went missing between 12.15 and 12.45. So depending on who you talk to and what story you go based off of. Also, uh, before I go on, like I mentioned, Graham was at or near the West exit. Not necessarily that she was on the lookout for her grandson because it is stated that Graham, the grandma, was there without uh, Rebe, her daughter-in-law and grandson, knew. So they, she just happened to be there. So it's not like she's on the lookout. She might have just been towards the back looking at things. So who knows? Um. So police do show up at the Sears at the Hollywood Mall. Well, it's also stated that not an officer, but a community service officer. So like maybe a um, a volunteer of some kind, or maybe a person who's about to become a cop, but not is a cop. They go to the store and it's stated that it's two of them to take a report on what happened. And uh, Adam was last seen. We have the original store. Adam's mother left. Adam's mother leaves the Sears and looks through the rest of the mall. Um, in the words of Adam's brother, who gave an interview many years later, he recalls his mother telling the story of how uh, over many, many, many times of telling the story, he says that the 17-year-old um security guard who had given an abortion or who had had an abortion the day before. And I only bring that up because imagine going through that and then having to work the next day. So the security guard again recalls kicking the boys out, splitting them up. The two boys went out the north exit. The two black boys went out the south exit. And from what uh, Adam's mom recalls, Adam was only familiar with the west exit. So if you remember, the West Exit is where um, the grandma was, Graham. And if he did exit that that location, why didn't she see him? So there's another story. Uh, Years later in a 2010 interview, a man named Vernon Jones recalls playing baseball game, I guess that's what it was called, with Adam telling the same story since 1996. Vernon Jones, being nine at the time in 1981, remembers Adam at bat with uh, bases loaded, and he hits a grand slam. Adam, being a Little League player, um, was hogging the game, so Vernon says that he started looking at something else. He remembers a man calling uh, or trying to get Adam's attention, and when Vernon Jones turns around, Adam was gone, and that he says he saw him exit the West exit or go towards the West exit. So, uh, Rave is worried her and Adams, uh, grandma were worried, pleading the store to help out after an hour and a half. They do call police. And that's when the two, uh, officers come in. Uh, Rave told police that there's no way that Adam left by himself. He wasn't that type of child. And he was also, um, He didn't know how to walk home, even though the home was about a mile away. At this point, uh, Graham drives to Adam's house, well, the Walsh house, and starts asking neighbors and friends if they've seen him. And a small little search party does uh, take place. Um, She does look around to see if he could possibly have walked home, even though there's no sign of him anywhere. She goes door to door. It's unclear who calls Adam's father, but... Uh, John Walsh remembers getting a phone call that his son was missing. John uh, jumps into action calling a family friend, John Monahan, a rich hotel executive who John Walsh had saved his son, son's life years earlier. The son was stuck in a uh, drain pipe and John Walsh, who was an experienced diver, gave him oxygen with his tank until police were able to save the child. So John Monahan was kind of indebted and actually helped Uh, John Walsh in his, sorry, his career in hotel, um, uh, he was like a planner, um, builder, pretty much did everything the executives would do. So he was working his way up in the hotel business. Well, John Monaghan was said to have friends in the police department. So John Walsh instantly thought that he could use this to his advantage. John Walsh was bothered when he arrived at the Sears at the mall and saw that nobody was really looking for Adam. He felt like the whole investigation pretty much from start to finish. They weren't really worried about, um, finding, uh, little Adam. Um, it might be because of the fact that they weren't experienced enough at the time. And for the most part, I think I mentioned it earlier, um, Abduction of children was fairly new. Nobody really knew how to handle it. Nobody really knew uh, if it was real. And essentially kept uh, referring to um, Adam as maybe a kid who was just lost and was going to his house and just didn't find his way. Um, After being at the mall and the Sears for a while and searching, the Walsh's are uh, escorted to the Hollywood police, which I should mention was or is across the street from the mall. So it's not very far when they get there. They're met by detectives and other police to try to get a statement, to try to interview, to see what happened. There really was no uh, standard operating procedure, like I mentioned, in the investigation of for the police and also for the store. Um... Kids really didn't go missing, like I mentioned. John and uh, Reve were uh, Walsh were cleared uh, fairly early, but family friend Jim Campbell wasn't cleared so fast. He, in fact, lived at the Walsh house and was a frequent uh, stayer at the house. It was stated also that uh, whenever John, before he... Um, he had barely gotten a job where he didn't have to travel as much. But when he did travel for the hotel, bu- hotel business, uh, Jim Campbell would stay over at the house and kind of look after the home and Revae and Adam helping out around the house. Um, I guess he was uh, just a close friend. And he, John Walsh met him when he was a cabana boy. And Jim Campbell worked at the hotel. So they became good friends. He was actually uh, Adam's godfather, but he had recently moved out. And in fact, uh, it was the lead investigator, uh, Jack Hoffman, who focused in on Jim Campbell and just thought that there was something more there. And in during the investigation and the interviews, it is um, it is found out that Reve and Jim Campbell had a sexual relationship kind of in and out of, uh, I guess, having sex. <laughs> that sounds weird, but yeah, just in and out of some type of relationship when John Walsh was not home. It is stated that uh, once Adam uh, became around like five or six and they were trying for another child, Revae felt like it was no longer appropriate for her to be in somewhat of a relationship with Jim Campbell. So they had it actually stopped around the time, coincidentally, when he did move out. Uh, Jack Hoffman was fixed on the idea that Campbell was the killer. He speculated that Campbell and Revae, well, was mad at Revae because she had ended things and their affair, or that John had uh, kicked them out. He knew how much he loved Adam and many feel that Hoffman's fixation on friend Campbell would eventually uh, hurt the investigation. Even after passing a lie detector test, Hoffman would still not let it go. At first, the disappearance is local news, and for the next several days, it's just uh, Hollywood and local Florida stations that pick up the news. But the more, the longer that it goes unsolved, the bigger the case gets. Um, John Walsh and Revae were also uh, specifically John were very good as far as keeping the story in the media which helped a lot and at the time um, a a lot of the things that uh, are done in this case and happen again are groundbreaking are things that change the way that media um, covers stories I think I mentioned it again because of the fact that they were just so uh, news-hungry that it just seemed like they were trying to do anything to get any kind of uh, info out of the Walshes. Well, one of the things that apparently they were doing was kind of insinuating to John Walsh that if they wanted the story still in the news and the night coverage, that they had to sweeten the pot, raise the money for the... the um. The reward for Adams safe return so what was five hundred thousand soon became hundred thousand. Oh, thousand oh I'm sorry five hundred dollars soon became a hundred thousand dollars which later would of, of course go higher and higher so next we go to August 10th 1981 uh, Vero Beach which is about 130 miles from Hollywood Florida Two fishermen find a severed head, um, and only a head, is ever found. The body was never uh, recovered. The head was identified by a family friend, John Monahan, with uh, dental records. Now, at this point, it's national news. When a six-year-old kid is kidnapped and murdered and only his head is found, then apparently it becomes national news. The focus does go back to James Campbell, the family friend, the one that was living with the uh, Walsh's, Jack Hoffman, w- could uh, the lead detective, can never really let it go. All other leads pretty much just were dropped, even though his polygraph came back clear and he, was, he had a solid al- alibi. Apparently, he was at the beach running um, uh, windsurfing uh, shits. I don't know what they're called, but windsurfing. And they were filming a commercial and he happened to be in the background. Uh, the police still have a hotline and tips are still coming in. Apparently, they were getting so many tips, they were just bombarded by all of them. Several tips uh, were coming in, like I mentioned. One reported of a boy who saw a man 5'9 to 6'2 getting into a van with a kid. And this report, depending on who you ask, either hurt the investigation or helped. Uh, The blue van was looked for several times. There was other reports that maybe they got the wrong uh, description and it was supposed to be a station wagon. But they do uh, look for the van. The van is never found. Also, the report of the boy and his grandma seeing that blue van was around 1.30. And by the description of Revae Walsh, she says that Adam was already missing by 12.45. A big break in the case does come two years after Adam's murder, October 10, uh, 1983, about five hours north of Hollywood, uh, Florida, in Jacksonville. Otis Toole is sitting in jail for a suspected arson and murder charge. When asked about the murder in Cocoa Beach, uh, Florida, he tells investigators he doesn't know anything about that. But he does have information about the disappearance of a six-year-old boy from Hollywood, Florida. He later tells Hollywood uh, detectives that it was a split decision to kidnap a kid. And he said that the little boy told him his name was Adam. He said that he wanted to raise a child as his own. But when Adam complained and started fussing, then he uh, started crying. So he, quote-unquote, punched the living daylights out of him. Then he started to choke him when he pulled off the road with his bare hands. Depending on uh, what article you do read, uh, there is allegations of sexual abuse. And other articles just talk about the murder and do not even bring up the abuse or the the rape of Adam. Um, Tool later describes how he used two hands to... Cut off Adam's head with a machete. Um, some of the com- uh, statements that he does mention or does say do hold up. The medical examiner notices marks on Adam's face and a broken nose. Tool said he was heading home to Jacksonville, so he took the route that Adam was found at, which would be heading north towards Jacksonville. So that does cooper It does go with the story that he gave and uh investigators he told them that he struck adam 12 times with the machete cutting off his head and uh that was consistent with marks on adam's throat it was just it wasn't a clean cut on october 22nd 1983 tool is officially indicted for the murder of adam walsh police tracked down uh tools 1971 cadillac the day after the police I officially indict Tool. Uh, apparently, the newspaper put his face on the front cover, and a 14-year-old girl by the name of Heidi Lynn Mayer sees the picture of Tool on the newspaper and tells her mom that that's the man who tried to take her from a Kmart store. Only days before, Adam West, uh, Adam West, oh shit, <laughs> Adam uh, Walsh went missing. She recalls that a few days before a man tried to talk to her when her and her mom uh, split up at the Kmart store, she said she could recall that the man followed them from outside of the parking lot into the parking lot. And the creepy man tried talking to her several times, saying, why don't you come with me? And she could recall how creepy he looked and his teeth. One thing about uh, Tool was he had very, very messed up teeth. Uh, His breath smelled really bad, which was another uh, indicator, kind of like Richard Ramirez. People often talked about how bad his breath was. Well, same thing with Tool. And uh, it's important to note that uh, he confessed and recanted his story several times. Um, um, So he would tell detectives that he took Adam and then he would later change his story he also said that he, his accomplice was the one who took Adam and killed him, but his accomplice in all the other murders that they committed uh, was in jail at the time when Adam, we- Adam Walsh went missing. I almost said it again. When Adam went missing. Um, he also told the police the wrong description of what Adam Walsh was wearing that, that day. So he was wearing a striped I- IZOD shirt, a captain's hat, and shorts and sandals. And he describes Adam with uh, a t-shirt, jeans, and tennis shoes. He also said that uh, he confessed to, well, to many other murders around the time that uh, he was in jail and being investigated for... Adam's uh, disappearance and murder, but police were either able to debunk that he did not kill that person or he would just recant stories about how many people he killed. It's estimated that he killed anywhere between 50 and 200 people, which would make him one of the most prolific U.S. killers. It's still unknown exactly how many people he actually did kill, but it is speculated that at least 60 people. So during the whole investigation, between not being able to prove if Tool committed the murders and not necessarily having enough evidence to try him, and perhaps the trial would not go as planned and he would get acquitted of that murder, he was never really uh, tried for it. And on September fifteenth, nineteen 1996, Otis Tool did pass away from psoriasis at the age of 49, him or his accomplice um, never really got life sentences for all the other, or uh death sentence for all the other murders that they committed. He just ended up spending life in prison. Well, the accomplice that I was talking about, his name was Henry Lee Lucas. And Henry Lee Lucas was convicted of 11 murders, but confessed to more than 100 murders to the Texas Rangers and he was a big part of Otis Tool's, um crime spree. They would travel uh, through the whole United States. They confessed to, like I mentioned, over 100 murders, somewhere between uh, 100, 200. A lot of them were debunked. And one of the facts was when they did the numbers of all the murders that they confessed to, the Texas Rangers and other authorities said that they would have to travel something like 300 miles a day to kill all the people that they claimed that they killed, but they did uh, confess to murders in every state in the United States. So that was a big part of uh, their crime spree. But he was sentenced to death, Henry uh, Lee Lucas was, but he died in 2001 of congestive heart failure. And another big part that I, I was trying to allude to was the fact that Whether you want to believe that Otis Toole did or did not um, kill Adam Walsh and it is um, speculated by the, well, not speculated, but in 2011, so about 27 years later, they do officially uh, say that Otis Toole convicted, uh, did the murder of Adam Walsh. But there are other stories that another infamous serial killer was the one who did it. All right, so let's go back to the day of the abduction. James Martin was a 13-year-old when he went to visit his mother at Walden's Books in the mall. From there, he went to Cazoli's to get a slice of pizza and a Coke for lunch. When he walked down to Woolworth's to look at some model cars. From there, he went to the Sears at around 1245 to 1250. He went into the toy department to play the Atari video games. James stated that he witnessed two black males who tried to take the controllers from an eight-year-old white boy. At the time, he states a female security guard walked up to the two black kids, talked to them, at which they left, right? So the speculation is that this would mean that Dahmer, Jeffrey Dahmer, yes, the Jeffrey Dahmer, could hang around for about 15 minutes or so in the toy department before retrieving the blue van and abducting Adam, I believe Adam was dropped off at the toy department between eleven forty to eleven fifty. Between twelve eighteen and twelve twenty, Adam was abducted. That means Adam was in the toy department for about twenty minutes, uh, twenty eight minutes to forty minutes. When the security guard uh, Catherine Schaefer observed the incident with the toy department at twelve forty five, Adam had already been missing for around twenty five minutes. Dahmer was already in his van with Adam and the evidence I found to imply most of this likely was back in the meter room to a, to the record of Detective Mark Smith's third supplement report in which some people attempted to place blame on Schaefer and she became hesitant to discuss the matter. So this is all from a book that somebody wrote about why and how Jeffrey Dahmer was the one who kidnapped Adam. And they look at the timeline, and he was actually living in the area at the time that Adam Walsh went missing. And it all goes back to the first um, Jack Hoffman, the detective. He was kind of blaming or shifting the blame towards the 17-year-old security guard and why she didn't do a better job. So the story that they're telling here is she gets mad at the detectives for trying to blame her and not protecting Adam so she shuts down and doesn't want to answer the right questions doesn't want to give more info that she knows and it is speculated that that infamous blue van that people keep talking about was Jeffrey Dahmer and it was stated that he did have access to a blue van because it did have Florida plates and he was just in Florida at the time when Adam Walsh went missing. And that is the disappearance and murder of Adam Walsh. Oh, and I do want to bring up a little bit. um, Adam's parents do fight for the rights of children. They do change. I think I mentioned a bunch of times. They do change a bunch of the laws. Um, Walmart implements code Adam, which is when they shut the store down and they don't let anybody in and out till they either find the child or They get police involved. The National uh, Center for Missing and Exploded Children is created. And it just revolutionizes the way that people look for missing kids, the way that uh, police and other investigators take charge of missing children and abductions. So I got uh, some of my resources from Wikipedia, of course. There was a story on Facebook also the it is called the Florida files and it's by it was really good actually it was by um, the news 10 which is the apparently the uh, news channel down there in Florida and they do a bunch of Florida cases only Florida cases so I want to give them extra credit because without them I wouldn't have any info to go off of I know Adam Walsh uh, did write a book. I've heard it's really good. I did not read it, but thank you guys for listening. Uh, I don't know how many times I can say it, but I appreciate it. Um, don't forget to follow the Instagram. I've been off a bit, but uh, it's Murder Talk o at gmail. And the Instagram is murder.talk and then O. T-A-L-K-O, and MurderTaco at gmail.com. Thank you guys again, and I appreciate it.